We laugh. We cry. We learn. But really, what doesn't kill you makes you better at managing clients and everyone. I'm Morgan Friedman, and this is Client Horror Stories. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Client Horror Stories. Excited to have today. We're going to have a fun story with Robert. Wait, his last name is pronounced Indriesh, but is written Indries in English. Is that correct, Robert? Yeah, that, I think that's fine. <laughs> I got it, I think. Okay, yeah. I'm excited to hear your story. Let's go. I have my coffee with my NASA cup in hand. <laughs> so we've um, had the privilege of working with over on over 200 projects in 19 different sectors. So you would expect that you know, after so many projects, so varied, you know, uh, so many different types of businesses from businesses making, you know, just a few million to multi-billion dollar entities, you know, everywhere in the world, that you won't have any more horror stories, right? Like you've learned to set expectations correctly, you know, like you would expect that these things don't happen anymore. However, what I can tell you is after eight years of constant growth, like grow, 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 grow every single year for eight years since our inception. In uh, year eight, more or less, I've had the misfortune of um, hiring a person that was a uh, psychopath within the company. I just want to in- interrupt you for a second. Sure. Um, first, I'm excited to hear any story that involves a psychopath, but but also your introduction it's destroying the whole premise of the podcast. I'm trying to teach everyone. Say it gets better. <laughs> it does get better. It, it does get better. It does. So I will. I'll go. Uh, I'll go into that. So basically, we we hired someone that's a highly functioning psychopath, and we didn't know because you don't know this stuff. The interviews were great. They they seem to be very skilled, very competent, and then we hired them. We started working with them. And then there are some red flags at the beginning. However, what we do within our companies is we have what we call PDPs, which are uh, professional development plans. And so within that, once a month, we have PDPs with every person or we should. And then within those, we discuss, okay, here is what you've done during this period. And this is what I would prefer you do differently next time. And likewise, they can tell me as their manager, it's a two-way street, right? I give them feedback and they give me feedback. Like, how would you prefer to be managed? Also, if there's no back and forth feedback, this time can be reserved to discuss their future career. Like, what else do they want to learn? Where do they want to progress? And so on and so forth. So we had the PDPs. We would give this person feedback and then they would apply the feedback, at least um, From an optics perspective, from the business ownership towards them, it would appear that they apply the feedback, right? So, okay. however, what they've learned to do is they've basically learned to lie better within the organization. So with every time we would give them feedback, they would know how to hide their actions more and better, right? However, they would do it. And so they kept doing that over and over again. 
And we pick up clients just like we would every year. Can you give can you give up one example of the sort of feedback that you gave and then and then how they hit it the next time? Well, for example, we told them that they need to because they were a high position, high ranking position within the company, we told them that they need to have PDPs with their own staff. Right? Like they need to have them with everyone. And they said, okay, I agree. And they understood. And then uh, they didn't have them. And I said, look, you have to have them. It's it's requirement. It's within your job description. You have to have them. They said, okay. So what they did, they did two things. Two, I mean, several things. But uh, number one, they had a few people that they liked that they were having calls with, right? Okay, so that's one. So they had like a... And not 100% not doing it with anyone. Number one, they had a few people that they're doing it with, maybe three people. Number two, they would say that some people do not want to have on, hop on calls with him because they're too busy, because whatever, and so on and so forth. And then the third lie was that he was having them um, with within text, like just text PDPs, basically, right? Okay. So they managed, and these guys are very good, by the way, to a very large extent, based on comparisons. Uh, I mean, I'm in no way stupid, right, or dumb. However, these people are so good at skewing the facts and lying to you that you literally can't tell if it's really difficult or if, like, maybe you're wrong in your perspective and you're being firm on certain things, they make you doubt yourself, right? In all of these moments. Okay, okay, this is interesting. Good. So what you're saying is bullshit can be so good it becomes an art. And these yeah, guys yeah. were like these guys were like Picassos. Yes. Exactly. Yes. They were so as, good at it. As a parenthetical comment, I want to say this is sometimes what I think about there's an American writer you might have heard of named Malcolm Gladwell. And yeah. he's very popular, especially among like the intellectual class and like the business. I'm a businessman, but I'm an intellectual class. They they all love him. But yeah. I'll tell you the hesitation I always have about Malcolm Gladwell, which is he writes too well. He writes so beautifully. I read any of his books or articles and every sentence I'm like, oh my God, this is genius. This is brilliant. But what happens is I read anything he writes and then like a week later, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, wait a minute, it actually makes no sense. And the fact that he's so good at writing hides the fact that it's all kind of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, many many people uh, that are writers want to get their words out, right? And so all of those writers know that 90% of their work is not going to be good. But they write as exercise because that's the only way they can practice their art, right? So even Picasso, I'm sure if you would ask him, he would say, oh, no, those 90 pieces, I would never look at them, right? These 10 are the ones, right? And so, however, it's just, as you said, they're so good at painting, writing, or whatever they're good at, that you just say, oh, my God, this is amazing work, you know? Totally, totally. So, so whatever, Malcolm, if you would sit down with him and have a chat i'm sure he would say the same yeah i agree these are not good and then this is the only one you should read so um 
basically going back to to this person i've never worked with a um, with a psychopath before or at least not to my knowledge right this this guy was the first person to hold a a senior level position you know that had people under them and so on and so forth and so his impact positive or negative on the business could be very significant and i'll share the horror stories in a second the only thing i will uh, say before that to preface is that it does get better you know after that like for example once I realized what I had to deal with, uh, I realized that we don't operate in the same reality because there's a reason why they, they are psychopaths. They, they they operate in a different tangent of reality. So if you would, were to talk to me and you would never in a million years allow yourself to lie in my face the way that they could, right? That for you is because you're a normal human being. Like you would have conscience issues right like you you couldn't sleep at night you know through lying through your teeth every time someone speaks to you or through skewing the facts or through you know just uh he, he stole clients from us he stole employees from us and so on and so forth you know just very bad very unethical you know um and so on and so forth so many many things happen however i've through this hopefully learned how to number one spot them and number two, work with them. And so a few things there, um, two lessons I'm going to relay before I go into the horror stories. Number one is that there is a dark triad. That's how it's called. They're the dark triad. And, and it explains, if you go deeper into it, that you can never be a psychopath without being a narcissist and a Machiavellian at the same time. These three things go together. So you can't be one of these and not be all three. You have to be all three if you are one. So if you're a narcissist, you're also a psychopath to a certain extent, and you're also Machiavellian, and so on and so forth. Okay? So all three of these go together. You can never have one without the other. So that's one. So if you feel that anyone's a narcissist, already be careful, right? Because they they have uh, psychopathic tendencies. Okay? So it's it's a it's an issue. It's it's a um, like some people are blind. These people are narcissists, right? It's a different type of blindness, let's say, one in which they cannot accept fault, and because they cannot accept fault for themselves, for their mistakes, for their actions, for their what they've done wrong, uh, they will always have a villain in the story, which is never them. Some someone else is always the villain, and they always make up a villain. And they're so good again at it. Their brains. Uh, sadly, are wired in a way that they can never be at fault. So always someone else to blame, right, for whatever it is that's going on. And then number two, I talked to a um, um, psychotherapist um, a while ago, a few months ago, and it was such an enlightening conversation because I'm like, how do you know that you're talking to one? And she's like, Robert, it's so easy. You'll... It will shock you. Coming out of a conversation with a narcissist will leave you more confused than when you went in. Interesting. So when you're going into a conversation, you're confused because you don't know what happened. 
was it this was it that was it what like what happened why did this not turn out the way it should right this was the kpi this is what you said you're gonna do this is what should have happened now i'm confused going into conversation what's going on and to know to spot narcissist or a psychopath is half an hour later an hour later wherever the com com uh, conversation is done you're even more confused now you're left doubting yourself you don't understand what's going on you're left thinking am, am, am my, are my systems not right you know the, where's the flaw in the system like you're left thinking so many things like you're so confused where in fact you did not do the work that you had to do you did not hit the kpi and the only thing you're coming up with are these amazing malcolm gladwellish excuses you know like just Picasso <laughs> level excuses you know of why you didn't do what you said you're going to do right and another thing that we gave him feedback on is you said that up until let's say end of march you're going to do this okay it's middle of april and you haven't done that and you haven't told anyone that you haven't done that any business you go to any manager you go to you know that is not um how exactly. a professional conducts themselves if you fail at something a professional will have the courtesy to say i didn't do it i didn't manage i need two more weeks whatever that conversation comes from from that professional however if they are narcissistic they can't take blame remember this is a fault it's a handicap it's like again some people can't see or don't have a hand or whatever these people cannot take fault so you can either work with them knowing that they'll never take blame or whatever it is, or you just fire them and you know you let them do damage somewhere else. But basically, um, within this, we I would tell them, no, it's your risk. Why didn't you tell anyone? And do you know what they would say? Well, I thought it's obvious. If no one would tell you that it would it didn't get done, obviously it wasn't done. I'm like, what are you talking about? I have better things to do and to think about, you know, than whatever I, we agreed on, you know, six weeks ago. You need to tell me if you're not going to do the thing that we agreed to six weeks ago. Well, yes, Robert, but you should also trust me that I have good judgment in knowing that if I prioritize things differently, it's for the better of the organization. And then I, I, I'm like, well, do I trust their judgment or not? You know, like it literally, like you, it puts you in this confusing pattern of where, 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 where am I wrong here? Like, should I trust blindly their judgment because that's why I hired them in this position? Uh, that's, but, I have they, to say, that's, that's Picasso level. Exactly. <laughs> it's so good. You would not imagine how good they are. And I'm left wondering. <laughs> No, you should have still told me. Even if you change your priorities, you should still tell the person, your, your manager, that I've changed priorities. I was not able to do this because of that, right? In, in, in proactively, I don't need to ping you about it, right? And so, so many conversations like this, dozens, dozens and dozens. I've doubted all of my managerial philosophies. I've doubted my ethics. I've doubted my values. I've doubted everything I could have doubted about myself in that one and a half years or however much this person was in our organization, I've doubted. Okay, so now let's go to the horror story now that you have context about what, what happened. I love it. So for, for eight years, we've grown every single year. Grow, 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 right? And so that just that just doesn't stop. 
right? Because I was on a, an uptrend, right? I was making wealthier friends, wealthier friends, better connection, better networking. I was getting better at selling what I do. I was getting better at what I do and so on. And so, so everything would just grow and grow. And so we hired this person within a boom of, hey, I need someone to now take over the reins here so that I can go on and do more networking, you know, bring us more projects and so on and so forth. So we did that. And so I didn't stop what I was doing. I was bringing on more and more and more, right? So let's say that specific entity was maybe at, I don't know, 1.5 million a year when they joined. Then they were at 2 point something million. Then they were at like close to 3 million, right? And so on. So it kept still growing. However, we were failing at every single project we were bringing on. The difference from the first eight years to the last two was that in the first eight years, when I would tell someone, this is going to be a quarter million and you're going to have it by April, I would tell them, this is going to be half a million, it's going to be done by May, right? Half a million dollars spent later, in May, it was half done. And you can imagine the horror stories that started after. Because I was busy networking, I was busy doing sales, I was busy doing everything I actually should have been doing. I want to add a parenthetical to that, which is a pattern I found is that high growth can easily mask problems. Yes, like yes, yes. When, yeah. when things are going wrong, you start digging, trying to find out what's wrong, and you start. And if you're smart, you're seeing the problems. But when things are growing, you're making so much money, you're you're not paying attention to where things are going wrong. So it's easier for issues yeah. like what what you're getting at to. Uh, lurk below the surface. The the weird part is that I did see the issue. I've seen them. And I have dozens of recorded calls of these people, of leadership, where I go in and I say, guys, what are you doing? It is 40% into the project. Where is 40% of the work? Where is it? I want to see it. We've spent 40% of the money. Where is it? Right? well, this happened and that happened, but we'll catch up, we'll hire another person and so on. I'm like, no, no, the answer is not more. The answer is not spending more. Throwing more money at it won't solve the problem. Actually doing management, actually figuring out what's the issue, that is what you do. And I would tell them over and over again, and I would work with them on it. And uh, it wouldn't happen. It just wouldn't happen. At one point, I had to have bi-daily calls every other day I would have calls with our chief of operations telling her, this is not okay. Look at what's going on. This entire division is going to crap, right? And we're not doing anything about it. You should be responsible for profitability. Yet I gave you a company that was profitable month to month. And now, now the company is making 150 grand a month and you're spending a quarter million a month. What are we doing? This makes no sense, right? And so... Um, I was having those conversations with her, but uh, it wasn't working because she was being lied to just as well as I was, right? And we were both telling this person that this doesn't make sense, this needs to be different, and so on and so forth. Nothing would happen. So again, we've taken our lessons. We now know, you know, how those people are. Um, does it make it any less bothersome? So we lost so many good relationships. We failed on so many projects. It was crazy because the clients were telling us, guys, you're not doing this, this, this. I would tell them like, hey, the client is saying that we're not doing these three things. What's going on? 
And then this narcissist will come and they would say, well, no, they're asking for changes. And they would show me one paragraph of one email they sent six weeks ago, which isn't a real change. It's just like something that they would say. But I would assume that's an example because that's what they say. Like, look at the types of things that they're sending us. And then I would go to the client and say, well, they're saying that we're late because of look at, you know, the requests you're making. And they're like, Robert, we've sent that six weeks ago. And it was one button to be changed the color of or something like that, something useless, something you could do in half an hour, you know. And so you don't have a delay on a 5,000 hour project, you know, that you're making a million dollars on or whatever for one button change. That's that's unheard of. That makes no sense. And so obviously the client was right in this case, right? They're not always right. I don't believe that. But in this specific case and in these cases, the client was right and they would show me facts about it. And I would go into those facts. This person would just get even more annoyed, you know, and say things like, Robert, are we the pawns of the client now? Do, do we not, you know, have our own dignity and so on? Like to say that, hey, this went wrong. We need, like we underestimated whatever. Like if you underestimated, it's still your fault because you underestimated. The client didn't give you the price. You set the price with the client. You set the deadline with the client. You did everything with the client. If something's wrong, you need to understand that you're still at fault, right? And so on and so forth. And, and they couldn't. They could not understand that they're at fault. So they would come up like it would literally they would not understand. I don't know how to explain it. It's a real mental problem. And it's it's so weird that they would get angry at even someone assuming or indirectly saying that they are at fault, they would get angry uh, at it. And they would just come up with the weirdest types of things. And they would, again, make you judge yourself, point fingers at someone else, create drama within the organization, lie to people, get their little, um, little fighters, you know, little zealots within their organization, you know, so that they, you know, uh, echo their thought process and so on. It's so, like crazy. So, so bad. Long story short, we've lost many great relationships with amazing people, millionaires all over the U.S. And total losses were over $2 million during that period. So at the end of all of that, what I can say is I can be grateful that I had $2 million to lose, right? We went through that. I can be grateful that I've had an experience that literally humbled me to the extent that now I know that I do not have all of the answer, that at any point in time, you know, someone like this person or anyone else can take advantage of my goodwill, of, you know, my trust in them or, you know, whatever it is. I can be very grateful that I still have friends that were alongside me, you know, during those periods. I can now see that even people that seem to have good intentions will double cross you the second that they believe um, you have any form of malintent. And again, it's a belief. What we have been put in a situation where a company that was profitable month to month to month, all of a sudden, a little over a year ago, one and a half years ago, was maybe $700,000 in debt me that I never took debt in my life, we were in debt because we we're paying salaries out of debt. Imagine, because we couldn't like sustain anymore. We had more yeah. overhead than we had income. So it was unsustainable. And obviously I can't get new projects if the current projects are going 
horribly, right? I have no recent case studies. The people that I have right now are uh, yelling at us. I can't use them as references, right? When I close new deals and so on. And so it just stops almost all sales. It's just so bad, right? And you can't, like now you as a salesperson are scared to bring on new clients because they, you know they'll have a shitty experience. So you don't want to do that to them, right? Like you, it, so it pushes you from, from closing deals as well, you know? These are all insightful observations. I love it. Question. So you Please. hired this, Picasso of bullshit. Things were going wrong, but because he's a Picasso of bullshit, at first you didn't realize it was him. What happened that made you put the pieces together and realize, okay, actually, the psych yeah. he's a psychopath, and that's the core issue. And 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 how do you realize it, and how do you solve it? So a few things. Number one, um, I was pinging my people in my organization randomly at random because i would randomly check up on stuff ask them how they are and so on and so forth it's my company i own 100 of it i have the right to have any conversation with any person in any organ any part of the organization so i would just do that and i would notice balls being dropped in his division and in sometimes other divisions because of those conversations and then I would bring it up in leadership conversations that we would have once a week. I was like, Robert, why are you talking to that person? That he's under my management. Like, yes. And obviously you didn't do what you said you're going to do because they had, they had no idea. Like, well, if I didn't, then that means they were busy with something else. And I decided to strategically wait until them, blah, blah, blah. Like crazy. Like you couldn't believe it. And they literally pushed me out of the org like they literally said robert you're the owner you're not an executive let us be the executive the c-level to manage everything and understand that your way is not the only way to do business it's like i couldn't disagree with anything you know like it's just so <laughs> good it was just everything they would say was so good but then i at one point i realized the principle is wrong what do you mean me as the owner of the company cannot have a conversation with anyone I want in the organization at any point in time. I own this. I own this entire thing. If I want to fire someone, I can, right? I'm not saying I will. I'm not saying I'm just going to use my authority to change stuff. But I am saying that if I reach out to someone and I ask, what do you feel is wrong in the organization right now? And they say, well, I never get to talk to my manager. Like, what do you mean? You should have monthly calls, monthly PDPs with your manager. Oh, I haven't had one of those in four months. What? You haven't had a PDP in four months? And then this is actual conversations that I was having, right, with these individuals. And then I would bring it up. It's like, they, they didn't have PDPs. And they would tell me, well, I was busy with something else. Yes, in four months, you didn't have time. Four months, you didn't talk to them once. Well, you don't, Robert, times have changed. People don't want you to talk to them all the time anymore. It's not all the time. What are you talking about? It's once a month to to see, to get their yeah. feedback and to, for you to give them feedback. Well, I have Three no time feedback year. to give them. They're, they're doing great. Yeah, then you're missing the entire point of the PDP. It's a per professional development plan, which means that you say, what do you, else do you want in your career? You know, where do you want to go? And so on and so forth. So many useless conversation. You would not like your neurons would slowly die off. I kid you not. Like I lost at least a thousand neurons 
during those conversations <laughs> because I could not like my brain was firing, you know, like crazy, like on all cylinders, just to understand the the aberrations that, that were coming out of this person's mouth, like completely nonsensical. And so I realized after so much factual data that it can't be all wrong. Like this, not it cannot be that everything is wrong in the organization, right? It just can't. And so we, I realized it's him. I realized he was talking. One, it's telling one story to this person, having a completely different conversation with this other person. Just it would just go on and on and on everywhere in the org. I realized he wasn't hopping on calls with anyone. I realized he did not have performance management in place. You know, on any of the projects, I would realize he wasn't talking to the project managers. Crazy, crazy, like just horrible. Like I would start looking into everything. It would be just so bad, like you couldn't believe it. And it really is a cancer. The person really was a cancer spreading in the entire organization. I could not believe it. It was so bad. Uh, and then again, by the end of it, in the last few months, they're stealing clients from us. Uh, they're stealing, um, uh, what's it called, um, prospects, leads from us. They're stealing, um, uh, uh, what's it called, um, employees from us, right? Just taking them, which all illegal wow. based on their contract. Oh. They cannot work with our uh, staff outside of our organization. They cannot work with our clients or our prospects, you know, uh, and so on and so forth. All, all of these illegal things they would be doing. Okay, no. Fascinating. So question, in retrospect, yes. what are signs, like rethinking before you hired him, were there yes. any signs that you didn't realize at the time, but now in retrospect, you realize, oh, that's a red flag. So, they, so that for future people, you look at for different signs pre-hiring. So the red flags aren't, weren't the problem. I was seeing them. I was raising them. I raised at least 100 red flags during the point in which they were higher. The issue was my firmness in insisting change, insisting that they a, a positive change is to occur now, right now. I don't care how you've done things in other companies. This is the way we do things here. If you do not agree, you're free to leave. It's a free country. It's a free globe. You can find employment elsewhere. I can find someone that agrees with our way of doing things. You can call that authoritative. You can call that, you know, whatever it is. However, I I now am a firm believer that this is my company, my culture, my way of doing things. And if you do not agree, right, I'm not saying I need yes people in the company. I'm saying that if you do not agree, you still need to do it my way and come up with improvement. How can this be factually better? Not just different. Different isn't better, right? If you can prove that your way is factually better than mine, again, KPIs, KPIs that matter. Not that, you know, people don't want to, you know, spend time on calls and, you know, we can, they can use more of that time to work, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. Because at the end of the day, you still have no pulse on the organization. One call once a month is more than reasonable 
to discuss how someone's feeling, you know, what's going on in their life, what's relevant, what when do they want a vacation, they can tell you on those calls, right? You can give them feedback again, they can give you, right? They can ask any stupid questions that they have, you can ask your stupid questions, you know, just literally just converse, right? It's not a lot at all to have that. And th that's, there's a reason why we have this rule is because everyone's remote, everyone's digital, we have employees across 14 different time zones, right? You cannot possibly speak to everyone every single week, right? So that's why we say, okay, let's have at least monthly PDPs with them. And then on the weekly, we can have group huddles where everyone says, this is what I've said I'm going to do this week. This is what I've actually done. This is my plan for next week. Very simple, very easy. Everyone spends, you know, whatever, half an hour to an hour on it, depends on how many people there are. And that's it. The rest of the time is work, you know? And so don't tell me that one hour a week is going to affect them negatively in any way because it's not, right? That's the reality. It just builds on that culture, right? So I think, sorry. I think a way of reframing that the broader version of that point is the importance of following your instinct. Yes. Which yeah, is, yeah. Which, which is the, these guys made you question your instincts. So even when you smelled things were wrong, you uh, people have instincts for a reason and people's instincts tend yeah. to be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Many times, yeah, that little angel, you know, whispering things in your ear, <laughs> you know, they know what they're talking about. And um, and it's it's your subconscious just telling you that something's fishy, something's not right, right? Even when you have a conversation with someone and they say certain things, you end the call and like something wasn't right. And then... What I recommend, uh, if you're a manager or an owner, write down the things that you feel are fishy, do journaling, and then have another conversation with them, you know, on those specific things or check yourself, right? So I used to have a lot of control keys everywhere. And so they basically pushed me out to say, you, you can't do this, you can't do that. I will never allow myself to be pushed out of my own organization ever again. I think that's the dumbest thing I've allowed myself. That If there was one dumb thing that I've done, it's allowing myself to be cast out of my own company. That that was horrible. I The only reason why I did it is because I said, maybe this is how true freedom from a, an executive role looks like, right? Because I've always experienced freedom to the extent that I didn't need to do the work itself. Like I've experienced that for almost a decade now because I have always had people to do work. Um, because again, our, our companies were growing and growing and growing, right? We have eight companies on in our portfolio right now, right? Across 19 different countries, we're doing operations. So at the end of the day, I've made it in many regards, right? Like I don't need to do work anymore. I just, you know, I can be paid every single month. However, I love at, at one point or another to just check in, you know, let me check this, let me check that, let me check this. It's called inspecting your expectation. You have certain expectations that things are going in a certain way, and then you inspect those expectations. It's a very uh, normal thing to do. It has nothing to do with your trust of the other person. It has everything to do with you checking if this is going well. And that's it. You check. You as the owner, as the manager, as the director, as the VP, whatever, you check. It is your duty to check, right? Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. There's a famous saying in the U.S. that's usually attributed to Ronald Reagan, which is he said, trust but verify. Trust but verify. Yes, exactly. I trust that you're doing good. I still want to check. Not, no problem with that whatsoever. If anyone wants to guilt trip you from checking work, 
that's a red flag immediately. Immediately, if someone's guilt tripping you for checking your own company or your own team, that's a red flag. Do not allow it and tell them immediately. If you ever say this again, we're going to have to have a very serious conversation about your future within this organization because you need to understand that I'm going to check no matter how much I trust you. I, I can trust you with my children to, to take care of my children. I will still check up on my children. It doesn't matter how much I trust you. It has nothing to do by with the, my trusting you. By the way, I, I think that guilt tripping in general is a red flag. Yes, not, yes, exactly. Not, yes. not just for this, like in friendships and normal yes. life, people, like yeah. people that are guilt tripping you should yeah. like, it's basically a very emotionally immature attitude. Yes, it is. It is. Emotional immaturity. Manipulation. As a lot of exactly. Right? So um, you should be very careful and you should set expectations with those people. Say, I will not tolerate this. I will not tolerate you guilt tripping me. I told you why I can't be there. If you give me better reasons to be there than to do this or whatever, I don't know, something, then okay, fine. That's fine. Like, for example, right now, not long ago, I had to go to the UK because we had some assets for sale and they were being sold. So I went to make sure everything goes well. Obviously, you do not need to be there, right, to for an asset sale to go well. However, it's it's perfectly reasonable to go there and make sure when, especially where you're talking six, seven figures, you don't want to you don't want anything wrong there. You don't want any legal troubles, you don't want anything. So I went to make sure that the deal goes well. So I went there. So at the same time, my wife is in a place right now where she she feels that she, she wants me close, right? However, it just so happened that the period was the same, right? This like I had to go now when this happened. She didn't guilt trip me for a second. Not even for a second, not even one second. She made me feel yeah, bad going, right? It's an amazing, she's an amazing wife. Yes. She understood perfectly why I need to go. She agrees that it's for the betterment of the family that I go make sure. There are no legal issues and we collect all of that cash, right? I went, we collected the cash. I came back home. We just hugged one another to death, right? We just loved it. We missed one another. It was great, right? And now we're wealthier because of it, right? It just took me a week. Everything was fine. And then I'm, I'm now I'm back. So um, it's, it's something that some people do because that's, you know, how they are raised. They're, uh, they have issues. Uh, emotionally, mentally, baggage, anything, you know, like that. And then they are taking that out on you. So that doesn't mean you can't be friends with them. Again, I, I, I learned how to spot them, number one, and two, how to live with them or work with them, right? I just understand that they cannot take blame, right? And so the only thing I can do is be factual, be even more factual than I normally am, be even more logical than I normally am. And if they hate me for it, so be it. They don't need to be, they don't need to stay in my life. They don't need to stay in my company. If they but, hate me for being factual, that's their problem. I don't mind hate anymore. I used to mind people hating, interestingly enough. As a leader, you don't want people to hate you. You want everyone to like you. And that's such a black hole. I kid you not. It's such a black hole of compromises on your values, of you know, uh, not sticking to the principles you know you should stick to, and so on and so forth. This, Wanting people to like you because you're their leader and you believe like you should like me if we are to work together is so wrong, so crazy wrong. Now I don't care if people hate me. I kid you not. I was on a podcast, last thing I'm going to say, I was on a podcast in which 
the the guy made me tell my life story, you know, as so on as like many podcasts do, and so on. As I go <laughs> through that, opposite opposite of Klein horror stories. <laughs> <laughs> yes, opposite, exactly. So they told me to go through that, and so on and so forth, and so. Part of that story is like how, do, like where are you right now, right? So we recently passed ten million dollars in revenue and so on. And so, so we're in a good place. And so he he asked a very good question. The host he said, Robert, many people listening to this are not there yet, right? They're maybe uh, either even still poor or you know just you know uh, trying to figure stuff out, you know, at, at a smaller level in their business and so on and so forth. They might say things like, oh, it's easy for you, Robert, right? You're there, you're whatever, and so on. Like, you can give this advice, but I'm here, you know, doing the work and, you know, I don't have your money or your connections or whatever. And and what I said is those people will decide one or two things. They will either decide to hate me, like envy and whatever, or they will decide to appreciate me, right, for until until this point in time, like how much I've done, right? And so whether they have to appreciate me or hate me, whatever energy takes them to become a me, right? Takes them to then become, you know, decamillionaires themselves, use it. You know, I literally tell like, if you have to hate me, if you need me to be the villain for you to change your life in a way that you become a better version of yourself and you are then an example to anyone else, then you, you can hate me all you want. I don't care. You know, and so this, I realized that many people need a villain in the story, right? And so anyone that doesn't know me can hate me, you know, for the things I say very, very bluntly, because people tell me, for example, overweight people say, oh, I don't eat a lot. Maybe you don't eat a lot, but you eat more than you should if you're fat. That's it. It's just as simple as that, because you can't be fat on air or on water. You can only be fat on calories, Right. The, more, the fatter you get is because you eat more calories than you burn. It's just simple math. So many people can get incredibly offended if I say that, but I'm an engineer, right? I only say things factually. Like I don't, I don't, it's, I don't judge how physics works. Physics works the way it does. The laws of nature work the way they do. So if you burn 1,500 calories a day and you eat 3,000, you're going to slowly, progressively get fatter every year. Full stop. If you eat 1,500 calories and you burn 2,000, you'll lose weight, right, for the foreseeable future until, you know, you stop losing weight anymore because it's not feasible for the body to lose any more weight, right? And so that's it. It's simple math. So this can offend someone and they can hate me for it. Within that hate, if they use that hate to then find some paleo, paleo, whatever, you know, diet that they need to go on, like carnivore, I don't know. And then that diet makes them lose the weight because now they hate me and they want to prove me wrong. And then they go on a diet and they start working out and whatever, which by the way, will basically do the same thing. They'll have eaten less calories and do more workouts. Doesn't matter. Right. And then they'll still lose the weight regardless. So um, I do think it's better to love. Obviously it's a better emotion to love someone, to appreciate, to, you know, do things of that nature. However, we're not at the same journey of wisdom you know, than anyone else. So this last point of yours reframed is that people are motivated by emotions, but yes. sometimes it's by positive emotions, sometimes yes. sometimes by negative emotions. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And, exactly. And, and I think this is a negative this, emotion, for example. This is right. this is a powerful insight from marketing eyes because mm -hmm. you you need the negative emotions 
to first happen before you set to be set up for the for the positive emotions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Exactly. There there was an amazing marketing campaign that uh, Romania did at one point. It was so good. It was genius. So the UK was um scared of Romania going into the EU because um then they believe that Romanians would just flock to the UK, right? Because it's so much better to live there, apparently. As by their thoughts, right? That that they thought they thought. So what Romania did and was genius. In the UK, not in Romania, in the UK, they started buying ad space in London and in other parts, right? With how amazing life is in Romania compared to life in the UK, right? So for for like, but but they phrased it in a way that that is sarcastic. Each one of them was sarcastic, right? It was you. It was use sarcastic humor for it. Something like, um, like you know, it's always crappy weather in the UK or whatever. Like everyone knows, most times right. it's you know bland. It's you know gray right. skies and so on. Uh, and so I'm making this up. I'm sure you can look yeah. up the real ones and they're amazing, but I'm paraphrasing them. One of them might have been something like, yes, like, why would we enjoy bright sunshine, you know, and amazing beaches when we can come to the UK? Right. Or something like that. It was, it was so good. I kid you not. And they had like dozens of these plastered everywhere. And at the bottom, it was like visitromania.com, you know, something like that. It was so good. I loved it. And so this entire marketing thing is like, hate me all you want, but my country is prettier. <laughs> you know, like factually, it looks better, you know? So it's just so many things like that that we enjoy. And it's because of this injustice many times. It's like every like people in the UK saying, we're going to vote against you because if we vote for you, you're going to infest our land because that's a, they politely said that, right? Like we're going to infest their land. Like you're not that special. Excuse me. Right. Who are you to say things like that or to do things like that? Right. It's just, that's a, that's a form of elitism, right? That's a form of racism. And so Romania wasn't having it. And we just, they just plastered those things. It just, it was such a, such an amazing thing. And they eventually voted for us. (laughs) So it worked, you know, it was uh, it was good. I don't know uh, the exact details of this. I just know the marketing principle because I'm, you know, part partly a marketing person and I just loved it. It was genius. <laughs> there is, so I also think marketing happens at many different levels. So it's not, yes. so this is a very obvious negative, um, uh, negative example, but it gets deeper, more complex. Like, so the best marketing is you don't even know it's marketing. For For yeah. example, just in the last days, there's been uh, there's been a lot of controversy in tech circles because the uh, CEO of the of uh, OpenAI, the hottest uh, LLM AI company out there, was forced out forced out by the board, and the world is discussing it now. There are also some other lenses through which we could view it and talk about it. Like maybe it was forced out by the board, or maybe for the, the narrative of any company is tied to the narrative of the public figures and the leadership. And sometimes you need, you, sometimes you need this dark moment pushing it out in order 
for uh, for there to be a comeback that is even bigger and, and bigger and better. And and the yeah. precedent for this for, it, it is is with the uh, most valuable company in the world, Apple. Steve Jobs built it from nothing. Then he was kicked out by the board, and then yeah. had this like dark period. Then he then he came back. Like, did it happen as we're taught? Uh, as we're taught in the history, or maybe you you need to play with everyone's emotions and show the world that you're having the fight and leaving and this and this and this in order to in order to keep the world engaged you need drama engages people yeah and um what's his name arnold schwarzenegger in his documentary talks about that he said that within the uh california city hall or wherever you know they were where they were conducting their business that they're all okay with one another. They're shaking hands, they're you know, sp- smoking together, and they're happy. But then when the cameras were rolling, they would fight with one another, you know, they would, you know, go into their rooms, they would just do all of these things. And then you say, it was all bullshit. He said it on the document. It was all like we all liked one another. We all would agree the deal was already made. You know, by the time the camera guys would show up, everything was already signed, you know, everything was a show. I'm like, oh my god! You know, that's 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 hysterical. I didn't see the documentary. I didn't put him saying that, but that's basically the 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 same point that I'm that I'm making. That the show of marketing happens at so many different levels. So it's not just take out a cool ad. It's like it's the engaging engaging in drama on 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 all these different subtle levels. I'll I'll give just one more example of something that I thought was genius. We have. a um if people didn't realize it yet i was born in romania so um i'm a hungarian born in romania so i have both citizenships and then um i love romania because it has like literally everything that you want a zero percent income tax which is the best thing ever it's a financial haven in europe um it has um what's it called um uh, mountains skis beaches you know like everything you want amazing infrastructure amazing healthcare amazing protection, cleanliness, and so on. So everything we want is here. That's why we decided to move here. However, um, something that's interesting, we had a chocolate that's called Rom, R-O-M, comes from Romania. And it actually has Rom in the chocolate, right? Because it's very Romanian to have that. So it was a chocolate that has a very specific taste. Like you cannot forget it. Like if you eat it as a child, you know, like you, you remember the taste forever. And so you had, that was one chocolate company that we had, rum, and then, you know, everyone knew it. And it had, like, the Romanian stripes and so on. So at one point, people stopped buying rum because, I mean, Bounty, Sneakers, Ferrero Rocher, you know, it's just, like, so many options, Toblerone, you have uh, Milka, you know, I don't know, just Kinder. So many options of chocolate now. Like, you go to the aisle, they're, like, 100 types of chocolate and then rum was one of them so compared to when it was one of the five available chocolates or three available chocolates you had a 33 percent chance to buy rum now you have a one percent chance to buy rum or maybe even less because everyone loves bounty or sneakers or whatever it is that they prefer right and so they're going down and down and down until one point they're in a real issue so what they did it was genius they literally in one long swoop of their packaging, the packaging used to be the Romanian flag on it, right? The Romanian stripes used to be on it. 
they changed it, I kid you not, to the US flag. And they, all of them, all they made thousands and thousands of, of everywhere in the world, every, sorry, everywhere where there was rum in, in, the, in Romania, instead of having like the Romanian stripes, they would have the US stripes everywhere. And everyone's like, where's rum? Like you couldn't see Rome anymore. Like you would just be used to seeing it. And all of a sudden there's this and it says Rome on it and it's the US flag. Like what's going on? And it it would say that oh, we were just thinking you don't care anymore. What? <laughs> what? My God, the, the, the positive effect that that had on that brand, like you could not imagine. It was genius. That's a great example. Wow. It was so, so good. Couldn't believe it. Um, and now, you know, I sometimes I just buy rum. I swear. Every like once a month, I just buy one just so just so that they don't go out of business. And I'm sure almost so many people do this. Um, and you know, they've started getting feedback. They use that to get a lot of feedback from the community right, on the tastes, on like, what do they want to see, and so on, they started making rum protein bars, imagine, because everyone is into protein now, and they want to eat so much protein, and blah, 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 right, so uh, very, very good, the genius, uh, we we have three roms in our house at any point in time, you know, it's just uh, very good, very good, so. Love it, love it, this has been a great episode. I love the stories. I love the dealing with recognizing and dealing uh, psychopath tips and nothing to do with client horror stories, but the, but these marketing examples at the end were, uh, were <laughs> a lot of fun um, <laughs> yeah. uh, as well. Any final thoughts or comments about recognizing or dealing dealing with the psychopath or did you uh, share the key points <laughs> that, that you um, wanted to? Something that uh, I, I shared the key point, something that I want to tell people is if you're lost at any point in time and you're really doubting yourself, it pays to speak to people that are on the outside, to talk to them about facts. If during those periods, I would have talked to people that I know are as good or better than I am, and I would have shared these issues that I'm going with and so on, they would have told, echoed the same thoughts that I had. No, you need to put your foot down. You can't let this keep going on and so on and so forth they have wasn't having those conversations right with people i could have had them but i wasn't having them because i i thought it's maybe temporary it, i'll figure it out whatever you know things like that but go to others message them email them talk to them you know and uh, other entrepreneurs would gladly help you in many of these cases that is great great advice robert thank you for coming everyone who's made it to the end Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. To be continued. Bye-bye.